0: The Southeast Asian country of Brunei drips in the wealth of its vast oil and natural gas reserves, has one of the highest standards of living in the world. The Sultan of Brunei's palace shows him to be among the wealthiest humans who have ever lived. This mansion shows his extravagant wealth, the largest royal palace in the world. It has 1,800 rooms. There's one family that lives there. It's, it's more than 750 times the size of your house, the average American house. It is 2 million square feet. And it, he has a, a garage that holds 110 cars, which might seem like a lot, but those are just the everyday use cars because his car collection is displayed elsewhere he has 5000 cars including custom rolls royce bentleys and a fleet of ferraris of course he has air conditioned stables for his thoroughbred horses and every detail of this home is extravagant the istana nural iman palace it it's estimated to have cost 1.4 billion dollars to build. Now, normally the home is reserved for the royal family or for official state visitors. But once each year, the home is opened up to anyone to come visit. You don't need a special invitation. Actually, this would count as your invitation. You just need to know what's happening. You just have to find out the the day and time, the festival season, and you show up. You can come by taxi or come by water taxi to see the, the golden dome of this magnificent and expansive palace. You wait in line to go through security, but you're then welcomed into a, a gigantic banquet. And then, led through the palace, not all 1,800 rooms, no one has that kind of time for a tour, but you walk through the golden archways, you, you see the, the intricate carvings, you see the, the wealth and you get to meet the royal family, and sent on your way with a a gift. No invitation is necessary. Just show up and wait in line. A VIP tour of the most extravagant home ever conceived. Now, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is getting a, a VIP tour, but there are there are some surprises. I think we'll see on. On his tour, it's not a picture so much of the extravagance of the temple that he sees, but of the holiness of this place. And yes, while if you measured out the square footage, it would be impressive, it's, it's nothing compared to the sultan's palace. But Ezekiel's tour will expose us to holy space, the holiness of God. I mean, the first thing we see when, we, when we're there at the beginning of verse of, of chapter forty, this vision which which sets the stage for the remainder of Ezekiel's book, we are there on the on the twenty fifth year of the exile. Ezekiel is then taken in a vision of the Lord. We're told in verse two of chapter forty, he's taken to Israel. He's there on a on a high mountain to see this vision. And look at verse three. While he's there, he saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. And this isn't just a guy who's had a good summer. This is an angel of the lord to give ezekiel a tour he's there with with a with a measuring rod in his hands with a with a linen cord stretched so he's got the ruler he's got the the measuring tape and what he's going to do for ezekiel is is walking through he wants ezekiel to to look and to listen so they can report back to the people of god everything that he sees the first thing they do is is there is measure the wall it's a tour that brings them in through the, the eastern looking gate of this temple complex to come up to the, the into the outer courtyard of, of the temple area and, and he walks him through the courtyard, makes them stop and notice the gates through which they go. He they, they measure every space that they walk through. It it admittedly isn't the world's most exciting tour. If you want a, a good tour, go with Bill Trotman up to our, up to our national park because you'll get to an, an exciting tour. See, this is a tour where, where you kind of walk into the room and then you sit and wait for your tour guide to measure the dimensions of the room. And you hope maybe, maybe in the next room there'll be something more exciting to take place. But the next space is, well, it's going to take longer because now we're going to measure the entire perimeter complex here. And, and, and it's, a, it's a surprising tour, but, but what, it, what, is it, what are we seeing? And, and take time. You could read it all the way through to, 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 to notice this. There's an emphasis here on the, the holiness of this area. It, it's, it's given to us even just in the way that the tour takes place. You start at this outer wall. There's a, there's a wall that, that, that guards the, the whole area. And so Ezekiel enters through a gate into this outer courtyard, but then there's an, an inner wall. And, and it's, it's as if we're going through these, these concentric areas of holiness, and the closer you get to the center, the more holy it becomes. An outer wall with an outer courtyard, but then you enter in closer through the second gate, and you're now in an inner courtyard. And it, at the center of this inner courtyard is a temple, this tripartite, this three-part temple with the, the portico, and then the inner sanctuary, or the, the outer sanctuary, and then then the small inner sanctuary. And Ezekiel, we know by by his calling, is a priest. His father was a priest, and so he likely understood some of the the rituals, certainly understood the rituals that were associated with the old temple in Jerusalem. The one, though, that we know by this point has been knocked down and destroyed. There is no physical temple. But he would have understood what's taking place, so that when he moves from this outer courtyard into an inner courtyard, he recognizes we've now moved into the area of the priest. When he moves into the temple, he's moved into a place that, that even in the physical temple, no one would have ever seen, unless you were a priest. And, and when they get, and we, and we read this, this portion, when, we, when they get to that innermost, most holy place, we, we find Ezekiel left in the outer sanctuary. He's not even welcomed... To, he, can, he can watch through the doorway, because Ezekiel is not the high priest. The angel walks in to measure the, that square, that perfect room of the most holy place, but Ezekiel is, is left on the outside. The closer you get to the middle of this, the whole image is meant to give us this picture of holiness, of the perfect power, majesty, and goodness of God. And it, you, you can read through the details. Some of the other details that, that we didn't take time to read this morning. It, it, at each of these different places, you, you go up a few steps. And so as you get closer to the center, you go up. And even inside the temple, you, and it's as if the whole complex is one mountain with the most holy place there at the pinnacle, the peak of this mountain. But, but even more than that, you, you heard me describing the, the door jams, how big this doorway is. And yes, I could imagine taking this tour. Were it not an angelic tour guide, any vision from heaven would be a terribly boring tour. We're going to stop and measure each doorway. But when you do that, you notice there's a reason. Because the doorways start wide, but continue to get more and more narrow. Because the closer you get to the center, the closer you get to the pinnacle, the closer you get to the holiness of God the more restricted the access is. And even the descriptions that that his ego gives of the the gateways, the complex that they walk through, it's not just sort of an archway. It's an archway with chambers built into it. And we're told that what are those chambers for? That is where the priests are, but not merely for the purpose of, of doing the ritual work inside the temple. No, that's where the priests keep their swords. Those gates are to keep people out. I mean, that's why you... Put a lock on your house. It's to keep people out. These are the locked doors of God's holy space. The priests are there to serve, to protect the holiness of God. And the description here of these of even just these walls, these outer walls, and then this inner wall, this restricted access, it it can it can it can make us feel uncomfortable. Because well then who gets to go all the way in? Who has access? See, I'm not from a priestly family. My father isn't a priest. And for a kid whose ancestors come from Eastern Europe, I actually, do you know where I would get to go? I'd be left on the outside looking in. I I could glance into that first gate chamber and realize, oh, they've got swords pointed at me. I'm on the outside looking in and, and and all throughout the Bible not just in this kind of picture but all throughout the Bible there's there's a clear demarcation between those that have access to God and those that don't. And that feels restrictive. It's I'm excluding. I mean you you hear me doing it as a preacher. I'm excluding some people from direct access to God and that's you know that's not really very nice. I mean if God wanted to make this a welcoming place, he should just let anybody come and go wherever they want, wherever they please. Wouldn't that be more welcoming? But, but would it? Would it be more welcoming to let someone come to their own death and destruction, to walk directly into the holiness of God as someone who is a sinner, to, to, to bring a, a moral affront against the God of the universe? See, that's actually not welcoming at all. I the warning that we give as Christians of this is who can come but 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 I want you to keep listening. Keep listening because in this vision is the welcome, the plan of how do we get? How does a kid who stands on the outside looking in find his way all the way to the center? To the very heart of God, to his presence among his people. See see in the end Christianity becomes wildly welcoming and includes all who will Listen, there is access here. Because what is Ezekiel's vision doing for us? Look, look at the very last verse that I read Ezekiel chapter 42, verse 20. This was the, the last of the verses that we read in, in these three chapters. Even as, even as we measure the outer wall and we find this, again, this perfect square of a, of a temple complex, wh- what is happening? We, chapter 42, verse 20. So the angel measured the area on all four sides. It had a wall around it 500 cubits long and 500 cubits wide to separate the holy from the common. See, this whole vision is showing us the holiness of God, the goodness, the moral perfection, the power of God separate from that which is ordinary, common, or worse, that which is sinful. But, but it's not even so much what's included on the tour that's, that's engaging. If, if you take the time, and you're just going to have to trust me on this, because if I had taken the time to read all three chapters or to read all nine chapters to get us all the way to the end of the book, it would have taken most of the time and we would have just said amen and sent you on your way. So you're going to have to trust me on this, but you can go back and check. There, there are certain things that are missing here that we might expect to find. First of all, there's very little description of the stuff that's in there. There's, there's very little description of, and, and here's the table. You, you heard me read about one of those, but only one. There's very little description of, of this is what this instrument is, is meant to be used for. This is why we have these things placed here. That, no, it's, it's again, you just walk into a space and the angel starts measuring its dimensions. There's very little description of what would take place in here. Now, Ezekiel, a priest, would have understood that, But unlike the historical books when God gives them a plan for the tabernacle, the movable temple, the portable temple, or the the physical temple that Solomon built, they they spend time to go through, not just to measure off the dimensions, but to give you a clear picture of what should take place in here. Ezekiel is focused almost exclusively on the space itself. And and then again, you you notice what's missing— In in only a couple of places are you given a a description in more than two dimensions. He almost always just measures things of how wide they are and how long they are. He never tells you how high should this be. Because he's he's not giving you usable blueprints. He's giving you a mere footprint, a a mere glimpse, a, a picture of what this temple complex looks like. Because there's one clear thing that's missing there is no command to build this temple this is a vision not a building program actually ezekiel shows up and the temple is already there it's already done it's already visible and unlike when moses was given instructions on how to build the tabernacle or david and solomon were given instructions on how to build the temple there there is also given to them the clear command Now build it. But there's no command given here because this vision is is never meant to to point us merely toward a physical temple. We are supposed to be looking at the spiritual truth behind the description. Why is he taking so much time? Because he's focusing on the the separation of the holy from the common. It's a description of the, the reality of what God is doing. But the worst thing that's missing in the chapters that we looked at, and and Tom will actually help solve this for us in next week's sermon, the worst thing that's missing? God is not here. Ezekiel walks all the way into the temple. He can look into the very inner heart, the most holy place, but God is not there. Because Ezekiel had, had actually seen the vision that God give, gave him of back earlier in the book of Ezekiel, God leaving the physical temple in Jerusalem. And now that temple has been knocked down. And so the horror here is there's nobody home. You're merely walking with an angel through empty spaces meant to point you to the holiness of God. But, but where is God? See, this temple is is meant to create in us, this vision of this spiritual temple is meant to create in us a a longing for the presence of God, a a recognition that God is absolutely holy and perfect, and you and I are not. And so we are separated from the holy. See, this this is not meant to be a building plan or description of what the physical temple will look like when it's rebuilt. Because actually when the exiles are given permission to leave Babylon and they, they begin to rebuild the temple, it, it's, it looks nothing like this. It does, the, the physical rebuilding of the temple doesn't, doesn't fulfill Ezekiel's vision. And it, and it wasn't meant to. But, but we're meant to look at the spiritual truth behind this. See, there are times in the Bible when, when we should look at the physical descriptions and look for a physical explanation. I I was a a Bible student in college. That was my major. And so one of the things I I had the privilege to do was spend a semester studying in Israel. And one of my classes was called The Physical Geography of Israel. It was a required class. I I loved it, but it was tedious because our homework every night was to take a a blank map and to work through a different portion of Scripture with some instructions given in the guide. And we had to to find the the name of the city. We had to place it down. We had to find the name of the next city and find the grid pattern and put it in. Then we had to trace the boundary lines between all of them. We had to go, go through every—because—and and then the, the great part of the class. That was the tedious part of the class. The great part of the class is then you got to walk into that valley, and you got to realize the armies were camped there and there. The great battle took place here. The, the pictures of, of what, you, what we had studied were, were real flesh-and-blood geographic kinds of events— And so, to interpret the Bible literally means you take every word of it seriously. We do. But to interpret it literally means you take the literary context and understand that. It doesn't mean that that we're expecting a physical temple. Here, we're interpreting it not for the physical description, but for its spiritual reality. See, we expect Ezekiel's vision to be fulfilled, not with a rebuilding of of stone upon stone temple. That that never takes place, not to fulfill this vision. Ezekiel's vision could never be fulfilled by a physical temple. What is Ezekiel doing? He's he's standing in, in history and looking forward to the coming work of God. And he sees it as this picture of God's holiness among his people. A, a, the dwelling of, of God with his people, the, the picture of a city to give us a spiritual reality. And, and it's actually a vision that's, that's recaptured later in the Bible. Actually, at the very end of the Bible, you can turn with me there, to Revelation chapter 21. So flip all the way to the back of your Bible. If you've got an index or maps or anything like that, Revelation is, is the very last book of the Bible. And to chapter 21, we have a, a, a parallel passage a passage which builds upon this vision of Ezekiel pointing us toward a spiritual Jerusalem. And, and as, as I read, notice the, the parallels. You have a prophet of God, in this instance, John the Apostle, taken to the high mountain and shown Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a square, perfect square. And, and, and so listen as I read. We're in, we're in Revelation chapter 21. I'll, I'll begin at verse 1. Then, then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then jump with me now to to verse 10 where we find an angel with the prophet, with the apostle John. Verse 10 of Revelation 21. And the angel carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were in the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, as wide and high as it is long. Do you hear the parallels? The vision of Ezekiel the prophet looking down at the city, this square, now in John's vision, made into this perfect cube, the the temple or the the, the city of God coming down. But we could ask the same question of of John's vision. But, But what's missing that we would expect to see here? What's missing? There is no temple In this city, for we're told that that the look at verse twenty-two of Revelation twenty-one, John says, "I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb as it is its lamp." Do you see why the difference between these two visions? The, The similarities are so clear. Why the the difference? Well, the the difference in the walls, there are more gates now. The people are are welcomed to come in. Even the nations, we would see there, if we continue reading to verse verse 24, are invited into this city. But why the difference? It's because of where they stand in history. Think of where Ezekiel stands in the Old Testament, looking forward through the work of the temple to give access to God. What is the temple? What what does Ezekiel's vision do? It separates the the holy, God himself from the common. And so what's the way to gain access? It's through the temple. Where does John stand? See, he stands after the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so he no longer has a need for the temple for who is there, the Lamb of God is there. And so when he looks at this this holy city, he sees no temple, no picture of God's presence among God's people, because who is there? God himself is right there, the Lamb of God. That's the picture the book of Hebrews gives us. Of the work of Jesus Christ reminding us that even the physical temples of the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle and the temple, were, were meant to point us toward a greater spiritual reality. And so certainly Ezekiel's spiritual temple should be pointing us to this spiritual reality. And in Hebrews chapter eight, we're given a, a picture of the, the spiritual truth. Jesus is the true high priest in heaven, and the true temple were a mere copy of that. In Hebrews eight we read. The point of what we're saying is this, we do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every priest, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also, Jesus, the great high priest, to have something to offer. If he he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there would already be men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law, they serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The physical temple was a picture of God's heavenly temple. Ezekiel's spiritual temple is a picture of God's heavenly temple. And who is the one who serves in this temple? It's Jesus, the great high priest of the book of Hebrews, the one who's described for us in chapter 7 in the verses which come right before what I just read. That Jesus is, is a high priest who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. You see, you and I would be, are separated from that which is holy by the walls of the, the temple complex, except we have one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who has gone in. What did he do? Unlike the other high priests, Jesus is not offer does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. No, he is holy, blameless, pure. So what did Jesus do? He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, this is the vision that Ezekiel gives to us. That, that horrible moment in your life when you, when you know you have been on the outside looking in, the, the anxiety that it creates, e- even just thinking back to walking into to my freshman cafeteria and realizing where will I fit? For some of you, that's a daily reality. The horrors of, of lack of connection with family or friends, the, the feeling like you're on the outside, j- interview after interview, not finding a place to connect, and, and you feel the anxiety. But, but, but multiply that now by the horror and the shame then of your sin and your you're being disconnected from God. See, what hope is there for us? We who are excluded. We who are kept on the outside. Our only hope. Our only hope is to gain access through Jesus, the perfect Son of God. So have you put your trust in Him? That's the question that's before you. Have you acknowledged Jesus to be the only sacrifice, the only one who can give you access To God. So the invitation isn't merely to come and walk around the temple, walk around the the palace for one day. Your invitation is to be welcomed into the royal family through the King Himself who gave himself for you. This is the hope the gospel offers us. And for those of us that have that have found our peace and forgiveness are welcome in the gospel. That it means we take seriously the separation that our sin causes. We take seriously the sin that, that lingers in our lives. We long for that day Ezekiel is pointing toward, that day when God's temple is realized among us, when we are made holy and perfect, when we are welcomed through Jesus Christ. So are you serious about the holiness of God? Are you comfortable standing on the outside and just watching, listening to the measurements, sort of brushing this aside? We're not looking merely for a tour of this temple. We're looking for access to God himself. And it comes only through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who welcomes us into God's presence through his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. That is your only hope.